Hey friends, welcome back to the Catwalk. My name is Clark Cowden. I'm your host for this podcast, and I want to thank you for joining with me for this week's message. Today we are talking about Romans chapter 7, where Paul writes about the spiritual battle that was going on inside of him. And it's a picture of what all of us go through, this internal struggle that we have between right and wrong between our sinful nature and the spiritual nature that comes to us from God through Jesus Christ. If we are Christians, we experience this battle of being pulled back and forth in opposite directions. And how do we deal with that? And how can we grow stronger in our faith so that the good nature inside of us gets stronger than our bad nature? I invite you to sit back and relax and reflect on this message, Saints and Sinners. The first president of the United States was George Washington. He was born on February 22nd, 1732. That was 291 years ago this Wednesday. If you look closely at every one of us, you will see both our strengths and our weaknesses. And George Washington was no exception. In the summer and fall of 1783, the Revolutionary War was winding down. A British general had been ordered down from Quebec to assume command of the British evacuation of New York. The British garrison at New York contained 15,000 troops, 29,000 loyalists, and 3,000 former American slaves. Though fewest in number, the ex-slaves were the biggest problem because a short paragraph inserted into the Provisional Treaty of Paris at the last minute stipulated that all slaves seized by the British Army had to be returned to their American owners. This meant that even though we were fighting for our freedom as a nation from England, we were not fighting for the freedom of our slaves from their American owners. The Virginia planters hired a score of agents to recover more than 300 of their former slaves who were now residing in New York. The most prominent of these Virginia planters was George Washington. He wrote a letter to one of these agents which said, Some of my own slaves may probably be in New York but I am unable to give descriptions. If by chance you should come at the knowledge of any of them, I will be much obliged to you for securing them, so I may obtain them again. But the sticking point was that the treaty only said that slaves seized by the British had to be returned. It didn't say anything about slaves that had fled to the British for protection voluntarily. As it turned out, four of George Washington's Mount Vernon slaves had already been evacuated from New York, 
and were on their way to Nova Scotia. Daniel Payne, Maurice Salt, Harry Washington, and Deborah Payne. If Washington and the other planters could prove in court that the former slaves had been taken against their will, the British government would provide compensation. Otherwise, they were now free men and women. This was not a conversation that Washington wanted to pursue, for it exposed the delusion prevalent among Southern slave owners that their slaves could not have possibly run away to freedom when the vast majority had done precisely that, and George Washington knew it. He advised the governor of Virginia to drop the subject since there was little expectation that any of these characters would be returned, and he himself had little enthusiasm for it. There were deep reasons for George Washington's reticence. The war had become a conversion experience for him on the question of slavery. At the beginning of the war, he had been a typical Virginia squire who regarded his slaves as property, like pigs and cows. But during the course of the war, he watched African-American soldiers under his command suffer and die for the cause. He had seen his trusted manservant, Billy Lee, perform his duties for him on a day-to-day -day basis for eight years. He had listened to his top aides like the Marquis de Lafayette and Alexander Hamilton expand on slavery as a blatant stain that must be removed if the cause was to mean anything. And he began to agree with them. He knew the direction that post-war America needed to go which was some kind of gradual emancipation plan. But he also knew that the states south of the Potomac would vehemently oppose it. In any effort to impose the long-term solution risked destroying the infant republic. The state-based character of the Confederation Congress virtually assured that this idea would go nowhere. For now, wisdom dictated deferral. While waiting, George Washington did not want his name associated with any scheme to recover lost slaves. The very topic touched a nerve that was too painful to contemplate. For at Mount Vernon, he was caught up in the same web of shame that entrapped the entire South and he did not know how to extricate himself from it. It's a story about the inner struggles that all of us wrestle with. We all have good and bad impulses within us. We can all be pulled in one direction by our selfish, sinful nature one minute, and then pulled in the opposite direction by our redeemed spiritual nature in the next. We all have a spiritual battle within us 
And each day we have to make choices about whether to give in to the baser elements of our fallen human nature or the better angels of the nature of Christ who is within us. The Apostle Paul wrote about his own struggles with this in Romans 7, 14 to 21, which says this. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Paul tells us three things in these verses. We have a spiritual battle within us, we have good desires within us, and we have the good Christ within us. First of all, Paul says we have a spiritual battle within us. Paul says here, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do. He experienced this inner conflict within himself. One set of desires was pulling him in the wrong direction, and another set of desires was pulling him in the right direction. He had this inner conflict he wrestled with, whether he should do the right thing or the wrong thing. Paul's intentions were good. He wanted to do the right thing. He just didn't always do the right thing. He didn't want to do the wrong thing, but sometimes he did. There was an internal tug of war going on inside of him. Sometimes the good side of his nature won, and sometimes the bad side of his nature won. Over the years, biblical scholars have debated whether Paul was writing about how he felt before he became a Christian or after he became a Christian. 
Some scholars thought that this kind of internal struggle was impossible after you became a Christian. They didn't think that sin would have this kind of influence on your heart after Christ came into your life. But the majority of scholars believe that Paul was writing about his experience after he became a Christian. Writers like St. Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Karl Barth were all convinced that Paul was writing about his struggle after he became a Christian. Luther's famous phrase was, we are saints and sinners simultaneously. We are both righteous and wretched at the same time. Augustine was convinced that Paul's words were from a person now living under grace who was still battling desires that needed to be resisted. The British evangelical John Stott wrote that Paul is writing about the Christian warfare between the flesh and the spirit that he also wrote about in Galatians 5.17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Even though our culture tells us we should follow our hearts, this is why that is bad advice. The difference that Christ makes is that victory is now possible for everyone who believes in him. We are no longer doomed to failure. We are saints and sinners simultaneously. But we are not fighting a losing battle. As Christians, we have both a sinful nature and a spiritual nature within us. We have a spiritual battle going on inside us. The good news is we don't have to lose the battle. Every time we are torn between doing right and wrong, Christ always makes it possible for us to choose to do the right thing if we submit to his will. The second thing Paul says in this passage is that we have good desires within us. In verse 16, he says, I agree that the law is good. In verse 18, he says, I have the desire to do what is good. In Matthew 26, 41, Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Before we became Christians, the spirit wasn't willing and the flesh was weak. Now our spirits are willing, but our flesh is still weak. In other words, some people don't even want to do what is right. They don't care about morals or ethics or standards. Some people don't have a well-formed conscience that bothers them when they do what is wrong. The good news of Jesus is that now you do care about doing what is right. You do want to be ethical. You don't want to take advantage of people. 
You don't want to mistreat people. You do have a willing spirit. Now the challenge is to discipline your untamed flesh, which is weak and which is more than happy to give in to temptation. The sanctification process of the Holy Spirit is to strengthen the willing spirit and make it stronger and then transform the flesh from weakness to strength. It used to be almost impossible to say no to temptation and sin. Now it is possible. We just need to exercise those muscles so that they naturally say no to temptation without thinking about it. So that those temptations over time will lose their power over us and fade away. Even when we make mistakes, the good news is that we do have good desires within us. And over time, they will become stronger than our weak flesh. And then the third thing Paul says is that we have the good Christ within us. In verse 25, Paul says, Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Even though Paul felt like a wretched man, and even though he was really down on himself for how, how often he did the wrong thing, the good news is that the good Christ now lives within us. He is transforming us. He is changing us. He is delivering us. Martin Luther once said that Christ only dwells in sinners. Christ only dwells in sinners. I am not who I'm going to be yet, and I'm not who I should be yet, but thank God I'm not who I used to be. Paul says here that the good news about the law is that the law shows us how completely undone we are without Christ. The law shows us how selfish and sinful and in need of salvation we are and how we need the presence and the power of Christ to rescue us from the evil desires within us. We have to submit our spirits to the Holy Spirit so that our spiritual nature becomes stronger than our sin nature. We want our spiritual nature to become the automatic default, not our sin nature. As Christians, we never have to lose that battle. As sinful human beings, we know that sometimes we do lose that battle. But we don't get discouraged because we know that victory is always possible. We can learn from our past mistakes, and we can do better the next time. The old illustration is about the man who had two dogs. One was a really big dog, and the other was a really small dog. His friend asked him why the one dog was so much bigger. And the man said, it's because I feed him a lot more. 
So the question for us is, which spirit is bigger within you? Are your sinful desires bigger? Or are your spiritual Christ-like desires bigger? It depends on which one you feed more. If you feed your sinful desires more, they will become bigger. And eventually they could devour you. But if you feed your spiritual Christ-like desires more, they will become bigger. I still think George Washington was one of the greatest Americans of all time. If you look at the entire body of his work over his whole lifetime, I think he did so many amazingly good things for our country that we are still benefiting from today. But like each one of us, he was not perfect. He made mistakes. When the Revolutionary War began, he was a typical Southern slave owner. When his slaves ran away, he wanted to get them back and return them to slavery. It took time, conversations with friends, and new experiences with black soldiers who fought for the freedom of our country for him to change his mind. He had an internal conflict that went on within him for a while before it was finally resolved. In Romans 7, Paul is being very vulnerable with us. He pulls back the curtain and allows us to see the internal struggle he went through between the good and bad desires he had within him. Paul was not a perfect man, but God used him greatly. His struggle is an encouragement to us to not give up, to not get discouraged, and to know that the battle within us is a battle we can win. We have a spiritual battle within us. We have good desires within us. And most importantly, we have the good Christ within us. And because of him, you can win any internal battle that you are trying to overcome. God bless. Stay safe. See you soon.